Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. You know, if I was to ask Jonah what his favorite uh, part of Christmas is, he would say the opening of presents on Christmas morning. And many young people would probably say that. Well, growing up in England, Christmas was a little bit different. Christmas Day in our house, we had a stocking at the end of our bed and just with a few little knickknacks and an orange at the end of it. And then uh, we would go to church on Christmas Day and I would sing next to my grandfather all the carols and have a good time, show our uh, stocking gifts. And then we would come back to lunch and of course that was turkey and uh, Yorkshire puddings and roast potatoes and things like that. And it was delicious and piled high. And then we would go back to the core to entertain the people that were being fed by the core that day, uh, playing the piano or singing songs or playing my trombone. Then we would come back to the house and have figgy pudding, Christmas pudding. I didn't really like it, but you felt like you had to eat it. Just watch out for the threepenny bit in the middle of it. After that, of course, this is way back in the, the 80s, we had to wash up and then you had to wipe up and this was painful. No dishwasher in my house back in the 80s. So you had to wash everything up by hand, and then someone would have to wipe up, which was just awful. And then it would be time for the Queen's message at 3 o'clock. And we all had to sit and listen to the Queen, say what she had to say about the state of what was happening in the world that particular day. Only then, at about 4 o'clock, could we open our presents on Christmas Day. I know, the shock and horror of it. <laughs> When I told Jamie about this, he said, yeah, but that was the olden days. <laughs> but it does seem a bit much, but I liked it. And I tried this with my family, we managed it one year, and then my wife said, we're not doing that again. Uh, because it stretched out the day, the anticipation and the excitement uh, seemed to go a little bit longer. If you ask me what my favorite day of the year is, it's not December the 25th, or December the 4th, my birthday. It's about December the 22nd. Christmas shopping should be done by then, and you're within reach of that exciting moment. I love the anticipation of Advent. Well, imagine waiting 600 years for your gift to arrive. I mean, that's worse than the United States Postal Service. <laughs> it seems a bit much, but that's exactly what the Jews had to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak this morning. I feel honored and privileged, but also in fear and trembling to deliver your gospel this morning. So just edit out what's in my mind and make it come from your Holy Spirit this morning. And just pierce the hearts of the listener. Challenge them, inspire them, and perhaps give them a moment to reflect on where they're at with their faith, where they stand with you right at the start of this Advent season. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Well, prophecy is a strange thing. Uh, not many people seem to be doing it as much these days. In fact, Everett Jewett might say, uh, no one is going in for religion today. Prophets are down. 
he... Well, I have dreams. I have dreams, but usually they involve me conducting the band without any trousers on. They are not at all, and I don't know what that says about me, but it's sort of panic of you know, not having your music and having to sing a solo or something. Those are the kind of dreams I have. Um, I don't know what that says about me. But there is a way that I am a prophet, and some of you will relate to this. I can predict the future, particularly at this time of year. It's true. I'll be sitting in bed with Roberta, watching a Christmas Hallmark movie. <laughs> and without seeing the movie beforehand, I can predict exactly what is going to happen. <laughs> there will be a girl, usually called Holly, Carol, Noel, Ivy, Elsa, or Robin, who may be consumed with their career, probably selling Christmas ornaments or something like that and they don't care for Christmas, or maybe they've lost a loved one recently and they can't face Christmas. They'll meet a guy named Nick or Chris, and they will have a misunderstanding, followed by a snowball fight, an interrupted kiss, a mysterious man in the town who may or may not be Santa Claus, a town busybody sticking her nose in, some Christmas cookies, a scene at the Christmas tree lot, There'll be another brief misunderstanding, which for a moment will jeopardize their burgeoning relationship. And a scene near the end where the town Christmas lights will finally be turned on. And in the last minute, I'm talking the last 60 seconds of the movie, they will finally embrace happily ever after. Isn't it marvelous? Now, am I a prophet or am I just a sad man that likes Christmas Hallmark movies? Today, we look at a real prophecy from Isaiah. And interesting enough, in England, we call him Isaiah. But it's Isaiah. Potato, potato. What do we know about the book of Isaiah? Well, his ministry commenced around 740 BC and ended around 680 BC, before Christ. The history contained in Isaiah is also found in 2 Kings, chapters 15 through 21, and 2 Chronicles chapters 26 through 33. I love Kings and Chronicles because it's history. It's great, and they correlate. It's a beautiful thing. When his ministry began, Israel had been in the Promised Land for 700 years. For 120 of those years, we had the kings uh, Saul and David and Solomon. You'll recall that. But in 917 BC, that's 200 years before Isaiah's time, Israel had a civil war and formed two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And since the civil war, the southern nation of Judah had 11 kings, some of them good, some of them bad. The northern king, uh, kingdom of Israel had 18 kings, and they were all bad apples. In the time of Isaiah, Israel was a little nation surrounded by superpowers, Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, and others. And this is not really important, but it was, as I was doing my research, I, I learned that the scrolls of the book of Isaiah, written in 2 AD, were found in 1947 in a cave. And those little things just reaffirm my faith in the scriptures and in the Lord, that something was written 2,000 years ago was found and to be true. So this particular prophecy in chapter 7, let's find out a little bit about the background. It was about King Ahaz. 
And it was also found in 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles 28. Now, I need a bit of help, and there are some people that love to act. I know that. Chris Corbett is one. Come and join me, Chris, on the stage, and you can be King Ahaz. And we have a, a visitor today from the Eastern Territory, Fred Mbessi. Fred, come up here and be Isaiah, okay? And we need a king of Assyria. I'm looking down at some, everyone's looking away. They don't want to be called. Uh, Ricky Yu, come and be the king of Assyria, please, and go stand by the piano, all right? Yes, good lad. Uh, we need a king of Syria, and who better than Robert Snelson, who has Syrian blood? He is the king of, he may be royalty in the, in the kingdom of Syria, we don't know. Come and join me up here, and we need a king of Israel. Let's have Chris Gibson. He looks like a king of Israel, doesn't he? Look at that. Come and join me on this side, uh, king of Israel and king of uh, Syria. And I'll play God. Okay. Okay, here we have, we have some titles. Chris, come over here. Not you, the other one. King of Israel, come over here. Okay, this will just help you understand what's happening in this particular book. Okay, so we had the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. That's King Ahaz. He was the uh, grandson of the king Uzziah, who we read about in the chapter before, and the son of Jotham. They were both bad. He later had a son called Hezekiah, who was a good king. But King Ahaz was a wicked man. Can you look wicked? Oh, that looks pretty wicked to me. What was happening in the story? And you can turn to your scriptures to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. What we have in verse 1 is a typical Hebrew kind of way of telling stories. The first verse tells us the whole story in a little synopsis. What's going to happen? Uh, people are going to band together, there's going to be a war, and they're not going to be successful. That's verse 1. And then the rest of the chapter spells it out kind of step by step. So verse 2, chapter 7 in Isaiah. The kings of Syria and the kings of Israel joined forces to attack Judah. Now you can go sit in those chairs and uh, kind of uh, talk to each other and plot and see how you're going to attack. In 2 Chronicles, we read that the king of Israel killed 120,000 men in Judah. Tens of thousands more were captured. Judah was under pressure and faced calamity. Verse 2 says, the armies are on their way and everyone was afraid. King Ahaz, look afraid. That's kind of the same as the wicked look, but uh, you get the idea. In verse 3 to 6, God tells Isaiah to meet King Ahaz. Meet King Ahaz. And basically say, don't worry about it. Isaiah, say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's perfect. <laughs> These armies are just smoldering stumps. It's going to be fine. Verses 7 through 9, God gives us a promise. The attack on Jerusalem is impending, and God says this. It won't take place. But he also gives us a warning. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God says, I am with you. Trust me. But what does King Ahaz do? Ahaz is panicked. Look panicked. It's, it's the same face again. 
2 Kings 16, verse 7, we read that Ahaz entered into an alliance with the pagan king of Assyria. Go stand with the king of Assyria with his fancy tiara and his goatee. His name was Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. And Assyria is modern-day Turkey, Iran, Iraq, a little bit of Syria. And King Ahaz ransacks the temple to give him silver and gold to persuade him to help him fight off the Syrians and the Israelites behind me. Isaiah says, don't do it. Don't do it. But Ahaz did not trust God. He put his faith in man, not God. He literally sells himself out to the Assyrians in the name of protecting Judah when he could have just trusted God. How many times do we do something when it doesn't quite fit God's intentions because we think it's best, best for our family, this is best for our church, this is best for our lives, the God thing, will work that out as we go. Have there been times in your life where God has said, just trust me, and for good reasons you thought, yeah, but maybe I'll trust what the other people are saying. Or maybe I'll do that later. Or maybe I'll trust this relationship I'm having with someone rather than what God says. Or, and this one might hurt, maybe I'll trust the politicians rather than what God is saying. Maybe I'll trust the stock market or Bitcoin or my retirement. Maybe I'll trust what the world is saying rather than what God is saying. Sometimes we will do all of that through good intentions, just like Ahaz. He wanted to save Judah. This was a good thing. He wanted to save the nation of Judah, but he went about it the wrong way. Let me return to verse 9. Crucial verse here. Very important. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. This is important. There are all kinds of challenges to our faith these days. Life is moving on at a pace quicker than most of us are comfortable with. A lot of social change. Some of it good. Some of it not very good. And the church is struggling. There are some churches that have decided parts of the Bible, nah, they're not for us. There are some that question the infallibility of our Holy Scriptures, and they've rejected them. It's a worrying time. Be very careful of cherry-picking parts of the scripture to make it fit your particular narrative or what you want to do. We need to be very careful. Back to our scripture. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now that seems quite reasonable from Ahaz. Why would we want to test the Lord? Was this because he was a particularly godly man? No. He'd already made up his mind what he was going to do. He's going to get together with the king of Assyria and try and fight this through man's strength. And if he had asked for a sign and it had come true, then he'd have to believe it. God offered him a sign. Imagine that. He offered him a sign. But Ahaz did not want to trust God. You can hear how exasperated Isaiah is in verse 11. Isaiah, look exasperated. <laughs> Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, 
Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? He's basically saying, you're getting on my nerves. But worse than that, you're messing about with God. But God gives him a sign anyway. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread, these two guys up here, will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim, which is Israel, broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Look how mean the king of Assyria looks. Let's give our actors a a warm round of applause. We can dismiss you. Thank you very much. Now, there's an important thing to know about prophecy in the Bible. There's a near fulfillment of prophecy, and there's a far fulfillment of prophecy. And we know that far fulfillment because we're on the other side. We're AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. We are not before Christ, BC. But what about that near fulfillment? A virgin will give birth to a son, and we'll call it Emmanuel. It actually happened then for Ahaz, as well as happening in the future 600 years later. And we're not quite certain exactly how that came about. It's possible another virgin, or in my notes it says, a young woman got married in the royal court and had a son and named him Emmanuel. Some believe it's actually King Ahaz's own son. Some believe Isaiah had a son named Emmanuel, or that his other son, and I want to get this right, Meha Shalal Hashbaz. What a great name. <laughs> Which means the spoil seeds and the prey hastens. Was actually Emmanuel. God is with us. His judgment is with us. Either way, the prophecy of the child who would be, uh, before he was weaned, Israel and Syria would be crushed, certainly came true. The two kings he feared would be bumped off. The other thing that's important about this uh, passage is to learn that Emmanuel is a title, not a name. It's a bit like bandmaster, and it's old school. I I like to be called Nick, but some people insist. Sister Grayson called me this week. Bandmaster, bandmaster, will the band be playing? Uh, She doesn't call me Nick or Mr. Simmons Smith, it's Bandmaster. Or we call Paul Captain. Now, I knew Paul when he was Paul, with long hair. But now he's short hair and he's Captain. But that's his title, it's not his name. And the same thing with Emmanuel, it's a title. And of course, we are more familiar with the far fulfillment of this prophecy. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Here we have the genealogy of Jesus. All the generations, 14 to David, 14 to so-and-so, and and it keeps going. And it concludes with these verses in Matthew 1, 22 to 23. This is verse 22 of chapter 1 in Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's the behold he comes. And it's significant that Isaiah 7.14 is the first Old Testament prophecy referenced in the New Testament. As if to say, God's saying, look, 
I told you it was going to happen. Trust me. Can't you see? told you this 600 years ago. Do you ever wonder if you'd been around at the time of Jesus' birth whether you would have doubted that he was the Messiah? Would you have thought it might have been fake news? I mean, this king was born in a stable amongst animal filth, attended by shepherds, born of a virgin and a simple carpenter in Bethlehem. Surely this was not how the Messiah was going to come to earth. But God has clearly said that his Messiah was going to come. Would you have trusted it? He says, see, I told you it would happen. It's a bit like me at the end of the Hallmark movie. See, I told you she would go back to her hometown, start a Christmas ornament business, and kiss that guy. That's what God is saying here. I told you it would happen. And it reminds me of Psalm 22, which when I found it for the first time was a revelation to me. You read Psalm 22, and it's a depiction of exactly what happened at the crucifixion, written a thousand years before. And it just affirms in me the authenticity of Scripture when you see something written before came perfectly true to the word a thousand years later. Isaiah's prophecy took over 600 years to come to fruition. A boy was born to a virgin. His title was Emmanuel, God with us, but his name was Jesus, which means saviour of the world. So what happened in the end to Ahaz, poor old Ahaz? He had a faithless heart. He disobeyed God and didn't trust him. Rather, he put his trust in man, and in this case, the nation of Assyria. But this is the crazy part. God honoured his promise anyway. Even though Ahaz didn't trust him and didn't do what he was told, God protected Jerusalem anyway. It's a bit like the parent that says, if you do that one more time, you'll be in big trouble. And then they do it one more time and they're not in big trouble. Or if you keep doing that, you won't get any presents for Christmas. They keep doing that and lo and behold, they do get presents for Christmas. God is so benevolent that he gave his promise to Jerusalem and to the kingdom of Judah anyway. Ahaz trusted Assyria, but then not long after, Assyria attacked Judah and reneged on their promise anyway. We need to be careful who we make the object of our faith. You might have faith in the Atlanta Braves with good reason. They had a good year, didn't they? Are you still awake? Did the Braves have a good year? Yes, they did. Or the Atlanta Falcons, with less good reason. But it's not Freddie Freeman or Matt Ryan that we have faith in. It's not even the Georgia Bulldogs, who will win the championship this year. It might not even be our own family sometimes. It's not even the president or the political leaders. They'll let you down from both sides. When I think about faith, I can't help remembering the story of the famous funambulist, Charles Blondin. And you all know what a funambulist is, right? It's a tightrope walker. You know the story. In 1860, the Frenchman, there he is, Charles Blondin, crossed the Niagara Falls from the USA to Canada on a tightrope. He walked 160 feet above the falls several times back and forth with huge crowds looked on, cheering him. Once he crossed in a sack, 
and then on stilts, another time on a bicycle. And once he even carried a stove and cooked an omelette. <laughs> One time, Blondin walked over with a wheelbarrow. The crowds oohed and aahed. Ooh and ah for me. Ooh, ah. He had proven he could cross the rope with a wheelbarrow hundreds of feet above the crashing falls. Then he asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person across the falls in my wheelbarrow? And they said, yes, we do. Of course we do. And then Blondin said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Nobody did. It's a bit like church sometimes. A lot of noise, ooing and ahhing, singing and shouting. But how many of us, including me, want to metaphorically get in that wheelbarrow with the Lord? We have each been given a gift of faith, but who are you going to trust? Your boss? TV personalities? Politicians, sports stars, friends, people on Facebook, CNN, Fox News, President Biden, President Trump, the world, or the babe in the manger. I'll be honest, a few weeks ago I was on a bit of a rant in my office. I was despairing of the world. It just felt like everything was going south. I don't know why they say south, since south is a good thing, but it was going south. <laughs> I felt we, our morals were eroding. And remember, I come from Europe, and they're eroding faster over there than they are here. But what happens over there comes over here in time. And it's very worrying. I worry about our church, how we're cherry-picking things and saying, well, do we really believe that anymore? I even worry about our salvation army sometimes. Are we doing the right thing? Eventually, my friend stopped me in this middle of the rant and said, it's okay, we've already won. And it just stopped me in my tracks because I don't think of the world like that. I think of the struggles that I'm in right now or the frustrations I have or the despair I have at the decline of society. But my friend said, we've already won. And it was a good reminder, and it's the promise I'm hanging on to for the next couple of years. We've already won. Every time I get down about something or hear something false in the news, as we experienced this week, or something that troubles us, we've already won. We've already won. This is the sign that King Ahaz missed. It's a clear Christmas Hallmark movie plot, and he missed it. Emmanuel, God is with us. Behold, he comes, and one of the gifts he gives to us is faith and the promise that he would be with us. If you're struggling this Christmas for any reason, I would say to you, Emmanuel, God is with us. If you are facing hardship, unemployment, financial struggles, I'd say, Emmanuel, God is with us. If you are facing health concerns, maybe cancer, maybe COVID, Emmanuel, God is with us. If you are facing broken relationships, lost loved ones, Emmanuel, God is with us. If you are struggling with your faith, if you are concerned for the decline in moral standards around the world, if you're worried about the church in the United States, if the lack of reverence for God's word, society slowly eroding everything that we stand for, the frustrations even with our beloved Salvation Army, or the fact that we might not make our target, at our Christmas kettles this season. Emmanuel, God is with us. 
Whatever troubles you, do not be like Ahaz. Trust in the Lord. The good news is we don't have to do this alone. God is with us, Emmanuel. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.